Hey, I'm Dr. Laura Berman, a sex and relationship therapist. And for the past three decades, I've been helping people learn how to love and be loved better. That's what we're doing here on The Language of Love, where I get to answer calls and emails from people just like you. My goal with The Language of Love is to help you discover more meaningful, emotional, and physical intimacy, and to help you build more awareness of how precious and sacred your sexuality really is. Be sure to email me or reach out with your very own love, sex, relationship questions, and I might just answer them live on the air. It's time we all become fluent in the language of love. I'm really excited to introduce you to this week's guest on the language of love. Jeffrey Marsh is a spiritual and inclusive messenger, really, received over 1 billion views on social media and has gone viral on pretty much every social media platform, especially TikTok and and Instagram. He is an educator. He's an anti-bullying They activist. are an educator. They are. Yeah, listen we to me. I'm already starting. Already. See? Look at me. <laughs> they My are. Is they, In fact, so I want to ask you about this. They are an educator. Um, well, we'll get to that in a second. Let me just finish introducing you, but this is a great example. Finish how impressed I am. Go ahead. Yes. Well, you are very fabulous. <laughs> And and wrote uh, and was your book? Your book should be a bestseller. I assume it was. Was it a bestseller? It is. It's it's called How to Be You. The subtitle is Stop Trying to Be Someone Else and Start Living Your Life. And I read the book. I thought it was amazing. You know, I love how a lot of it is autobiographical. You use your yourself and your own journey and what you've learned in terms of really learning to embrace yourself and so much about what I talk about on the show in general, not just about, you know, in terms of non-binary or transgender or the LGBTQ community, just for all of us, we struggle with (laughs) self-love and self-worth. It's a lifetime journey. Certainly those of us who've been disenfranchised and bullied and uh, marginalized, it's even harder. But I think this book you know, applies to everyone. Um, And people are often asking me, okay, so I know I need to love myself. How the hell do I do that? (laughs) And so we're going to be getting down to that a little bit as well. But I love that I, that I made the boo-boo right as I was introducing you, because (laughs) I think, you know, it was convenient, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good. And I, and I usually, my unconscious cooperates that way in a, in a beautiful way (laughs) when needed. I, I always... But I think it's it's interesting. I was just talking to my husband about something related, and I corrected him, and I said they. Oh, I think he was talking about my friend, my son's friend who uses the they pronoun. And then he started. My husband was like, "Well, how do you do that? That's grammatically incorrect because normally you would say he or she is coming tonight, right? Do you say they are coming tonight, or do you say they is coming tonight?" Because it's one person. Well, there are two things I want to address before we get into our grammar lesson. (laughs) Number one, um, I think, I think, or I hope the book is a bestseller because it's not just LGBTQ people reading it. Yes. A lot of folks who are not like me pick up the book and see themselves in those pages. And I often talk about how I'm a walking metaphor. Can this is why I wanted to talk to you today because I you get this instinctively, it's so much a part of your work. Yeah, I'm this metaphor for there is nothing wrong. With you mm-hmm. people can see my social videos, they can read the book, they can see me walking down the street, and they basically know instantly what I've been told is wrong with me my entire life my uh, effeminacy, my LGBTQ-ness, whatever you want to call it. They know what was wrong with me. And they can also see instantly that I love what I was told was wrong with me. Yes. That that's my strength, superpower. I love that so much. And, and you said something, I made a lot of notes in the book, you know, of little quotes and things <laughs> I loved. And You wrote, and it's exactly a version of what you're saying, the thing people most try to change about you is a big clue to who you really are. 
I think is how you said it. Can you speak to that a little bit before we get into pronouns and grammar? <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and it's all related, obviously. You were told as most with you is your gift to the world. What I had hoped that you would do, and one of the main things that I hoped it gives, or that it gives to readers, is this sense that people do not want you to be free. That is true for almost every human being. It is changing and it is getting better, but what was classically thought of as parenting, when my parents were young Mm -hmm. parents, (laughs) parenting me as a kid, what was thought of as good parenting was to, in a sense, break the spirit of your kid. And assimilate them so they would conform. And, and, and that AKA my parents, socialization. Yes, uh, exactly. Right. And my parents did the same thing to me. I mean, in, in different ways, but anything that made you different or stand out or not fit the norm or not fit their ideal of how they wished they could have been, they either, and I'm talking about the collective you, not just you or I, but they either beat or shamed or, subtly or overtly try to condition it was and it's a misguided form of love which I also really appreciate in your message because I absolutely believe that and one of the things that I of the many things I love about your message not just in the book but in your videos is that there's so much compassion for the bully you know for or for not the parents are all bullies because like we said it's coming from a place of love and and misguided intention to protect but it's coming from their wounds as well and um, and you have so much compassion for when someone judges or is prejudiced or says even something really hateful or shameful. You know, your response is always like, wow. Uh, you know, it's like I always say you spot it, you got it right. You'll be like, wow, I feel so bad for you because that must have happened to you. What you're doing to me, you must really feel about yourself and someone else did that to you. And I'm so sorry which I think is a really powerful response. Yeah. And, you know, evidence points to the fact that they're still doing it to themselves inside their head. Why would they, why else would they be coming to me? Yeah, right. (laughs) Unless they had that same kind of missing and wanting conformity inside their own head. Yeah. So to me, the hater back, is not only inefficient, it's actually moving in the wrong direction. And another thing I hope people take from my work is holding on to the dignity and on to the boundaries and holding on to ways you will and not be treated, right? Teaching people what's acceptable and what isn't and how to treat you. These ways we navigate relationships all of that is intact and I the full humanity in every single person. Yeah. My committee. That's really beautiful. And I think it's so hard for people <laughs> to do, you know, yeah. when they're, especially when they feel frustrated and hurt and offended and shut down. Um, and it's something that I tried, you know, to teach my kids as they were coming up and all got bullied. And you're right in many ways for their gifts that made them a little quirky or weird or the kind of kid that grownups adored, but kids just could not understand, you know. And I would say to them, well, you you know why he's that kid is saying those things to you. He must be really unhappy with himself. You know, he's really hurting himself. And, and it would, you know, it would kind of help them a little bit because I think it made them take it a little less personally, but it didn't really serve to, to stop the bullying, right. Or to make it less. And, and some of my kids were better at walking away than others, right. One, you know, some of them couldn't walk away from an altercation and would get into a verbal sparring match that would escalate the whole thing. You know, everybody responds differently. And so much of your book obviously is written from the perspective of the adult you are now, remembering the kid you were then 
and what you remembered and learned, but what, and I know you work so often with kids and young people now and you advise them, but, but what, what do you, what are the, what are the tangibles that, that a kid could do or any of us could do, but I think especially a young person who maybe doesn't have the same capacity to walk away. What would you recommend they do or say? I mean, they're thinking, okay, you must feel this way about yourself, right? What do they do or say? Well, it's so fun that you asked that because I was that kid. If I wanted to avoid bullying, the only option I had was to never go to school again, which was not an option. (laughs) So I was walking in every day to a group of people who would terrorize me as best as they could every day, including teachers at school where I grew up. And I carried that as my shame for years, my responsibility, my weight to bear for years and years and years. So I wouldn't want to address the kids in this exact moment. I'd want to address the parents, the uh, teachers, the older kids, uh, anybody who's in a position You know, when I was really, really young, I never wanted to hear somebody, well, the bully is getting bullied. Yeah, right. That's the last thing that's helpful. (laughs) I don't care. Yeah, like make Um, them stop. And then when you try to intervene, I mean, I'll never forget the middle school teacher. And she's like, I'll try to talk to them, but talking to them makes it worse. I'm like, you are the school counselor. Talking to the kids makes it worse? What are you talking about? Exactly right. um, But I tried talking to the other parents. They were bullies themselves. I tried talking to the school. They were clueless and helpless. I tried even talking to one of the other kids. I got in a ton of trouble with the school. It's it's really tough. And and if I could have gone, and in fact, I mean, you we don't have to get into this now, but you may or may not know that my middle son tragically passed away. And yes. um and yep. and the trajectory that got him to the place where he was experimenting with drugs in order to fit in with the small group of kids that would accept him, which were the druggy kids or the drug using kids, I should say. He was going in, like you're describing, he was going into a war zone every day. That's what it feels like in a child's mind Mm -hmm. to go into school every day, knowing that you're going to be heckled and teased and marginalized. And so even wearing that hat, as I ask you this question as a parent, because I was doing all of that, I was taught, I mean, I didn't call up these kids' parents because they were like in ninth grade, and but I had earlier but I talked to the school, I talked to the counselors, I talked to the administrators, I talked to him a lot. Is is there something, and I don't mean that that would have saved him, but just using me as an example, is there something that I could have done or said that might have given him some more tools um, other than building him up as much I could and helping him see his gifts? And he would even say to me, I see that. I know eventually I'm going to be okay. It's just getting through the next few years with these idiots around me treating me like crap. Like he could see that it was them, not him. And yet at the same time, he was living in a war zone and being, and the most important thing to a kid is at that age, especially social inclusion and acceptance. That's more, much more important than anything else. And he couldn't get that, at least not without you know, meeting the norm that these few kids who accepted him were setting for him. Well, there are two things to talk about. We can get right to the tips and tricks uh, in a second. Mm -hmm. But before we go there, I want to ask if you're feeling guilty. I feel horribly guilty. Uh, Yes. I mean, that's the, that's the hardest thing from, from the moment he was born. I've gone through every minute of, um, you know, what could I have done differently when he was in fourth grade? And, you know, if I had responded, like every point of his life, uh, how can you not feel guilty? That's the hardest part is that, you know, my one job (laughs) was to keep this kid alive, if nothing else, if I have no other job, you know, and I and and uh, and I couldn't. And so, yeah, I question everything. Yeah, I 
didn't expect here, but you're the person to go here with. I almost died by suicide many times. And it really only is uh, by luck, by hook, by crook, um, by circumstance that I'm here now to talk to you. So the first thing I would offer is, no, there's not more you can do. Pretty clear to me that you loved your kid. I did, yeah. And that to me, that to me goes top on the list. And everything else is underneath. And if someone's listening and is in a similar situation, I know you and I would both tell your kid you love them. Yeah. And in a sense, I wouldn't ever wanted to hear. So I found out when I was in my 30s that my mom used to yell at my school. Really? She would go into the office and yell at whoever listened to her. Oh, wow. And you <laughs> never knew that she make would a dramatic do that? Scene. Make a scene and she would yell at the you know, the person at the front desk, the principal, anybody, Aww. my teacher, you're supposed to be protecting my child. You're not protecting my And she would just scream. She never told me she was doing that. Because she thought to be a good parent was to fix everything so that I, quote, didn't have to worry about this. Yeah. But in the process, I just felt like nobody was advocating. Yeah. And- I Right. And nobody had your back. And she did. And you didn't Mm -hmm. know. And she. So I bring that up to say. I all the evidence points to your kid knowing exactly how much you cared. Oh, he did. He definitely knew. And how much you loved. Yes. And how much I accepted him. Yes. And speaking as someone who has been in those situations myself, it could be infinite love. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to turn it around for you. It is helpful to know, and it feels good to know, that as far as it being your fault, or that you could have or should have done more. Yeah, I hope so. You see what I, I mean? mean? I do, and I've been working on it. And I see it all intellectually, but, you know, it's just a process. I think you have to, I think it's part of the healing is letting go of that. Cause I certainly know all of that intellectually. And I know other than maybe letting him leave school, which he was always begging to do and homeschool, which I didn't want to do. And that's maybe the only decision that I probably could have made. What's that? Can I compliment you? Yes. Always. (laughs) Um, Oh, good. I never would have asked for homeschool. Because home was not a safe place Uh, for me. Yeah. So that actually is a compliment to you and the kind of the kind of space you are offering to your kids. Yeah, no, he loved being home. He definitely felt, in fact, he mm-hmm. thrived through the pandemic because he could homeschool, basically. Yeah. yeah, he loved, He, you know, it was just, he was isolated and lonely and rejected by the people that he most required that, you know, needed the acceptance from. I, my yes. acceptance was not, nor my husband's, was enough of a bomb on the rejection, right? B-A-L-M, not B-O-M-B. <laughs> But it wasn't enough of a bomb, yeah. Uh, which I think is normal for a teenager. And, and that's, you know, I think all teenagers do stupid experimental stuff. But I know that he was doing the stupid experimental stuff to try to, and he would verbalize that to me, that he needed to do it in order to fit in. And I would say, I'm sorry. I wish I could say yes, because part of me wishes I could do anything to help you feel like you belonged, because you deserve to belong. But I'm not going to say yes to that. Well, 
If you're like the millions of women out there and the people who love them whose sex lives have been negatively affected by chronic urinary tract infections, I wanted to tell you about a product line I discovered called Eucora because people don't talk about this enough. UTIs can happen due to menopause, pregnancy, so many other factors. And so many women struggle with this and go to the doctor repeatedly and then end up avoiding sex as a result. Eucora not only offers UTI relief and proactive urinary tract health supplements, but they have a whole learning center on their website with research and information for you. So get proactive about urinary tract health with Eucora. Right now, Eucora is offering 20% off when you go to eucora.com slash love, but hurry because it's a limited time offer. Go to eucora.com slash love and get 20% off your order. That's eucora.com slash love. So it sounds like well, let's get to the, the enough about me. Let's talk about you. Let's get to the how tos, although it'll probably become about me again. But but the but the tips and tools for those who are still here and for those parents who do see their kids struggling, we said definitely talk to the school, talk to the teachers, even talk to the other parents. But what would you, you know, to tell the child in addition to understanding, okay, this kid is hurting too, hurt people, hurt people, that doesn't help you get through the school day. What would you say? I would have a frank discussion with your. So, yeah, kind of like the story I told with my mom. Mm -hmm. I wish you would have come right home and said, guess what I did today? Yeah. In the sense of how they're treating you unacceptable. You're not alone. You're not overly dramatic. You're right? You are seeing things clearly. You and I both know the truth. Yeah. And I affirm who you are and I affirm your truth and I'm going to do everything I can to protect you. That I think is a good thing to hear as a kid. I you think so. can't change school or, or change the circumstances. Yeah. And I've actually had a couple of friends, like kids that were friends with my son when they were really little reach out to me recently. And, you know, these are families that we don't even live near anymore. And a couple of them have said, my child is being bullied in school and is miserable and, you know, is a sophomore in high school and wants to move to this other school that's more accepting. But, you know, this is a great school. And what about college? And I keep saying, fuck college. Just like, let get the kid out of there. (laughs) You know, that's the least. And I think it's the same reason I said no to homeschooling is like, what are the colleges going to think when they see all of a sudden he homeschooled, you know? And and so, and I would give anything to have that problem now, you know? So if your kid is really suffering and the school is not doing anything and nothing is getting better, who gives a fuck about, you know, it's all going to work out. And so I think there is something to be said to letting them homeschool or letting them go to an, you know, there's, there's this, which I think is part of our conformity. There's this like, got to live to learn, you know, you got to learn to live in the world. And there are going to be, my parents used to say this to me when I was bullied, there are going to be assholes everywhere. There are going to be nasty bosses. Now they're nasty <laughs> teachers, but they're going to be nasty bosses. There's going to be someday. misogyny. Yes. You go, yes. You might as well get used to yes, it. Yes. Get used to it. <laughs> That's what they would say. Learn to not yeah. let it bother you. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. And and that kind of mentality, I think, was in there. Do you know what's wrong with that? I Go mean, ahead, I tell you're, us. You're mocking it. Yes, so probably I am. You do, but what's wrong with that is it's blaming the victim. Yeah, and normalizing. It makes, yes, makes the bully relationship about how the bullied is dealing with it. Yeah. No, no, no. Turn around. We need us the bully what they're doing. Hold them accountable. Yeah. Of course, we grow up and become adults, and the same thing happens. We go to shops, we read another book, we, (laughs) right? 
we try to do self-improvement when the abusers trying to relate to us. Yeah. Right. And I just wish that the world would hold us accountable. Let's concentrate on that for a few years. Yeah. And not improve our same more. Yeah. We'll say more about that because, you know, I agree with you that there should be a zero tolerance. And I think you're a beautiful model of how to create zero tolerance for bullies in a compassionate, but uh uh-uh kind of way. Like, no, it's not okay. And I'm so sorry that you feel like crap about yourself and that the reason you're making me feel small or trying to make me feel small is because you feel small, but it's not okay. And Mm -hmm. is there more that we can do other than just saying no? And I also think, and I'm hugely passionate about this, the whole freaking bystander thing, how silent people are when they witness that makes me infuriated. I mean, it's it's almost worse than the bully. And they have their own reasons and wounds for doing that. And they don't want to get in the in the middle of the shrapnel. But still. You know, we all have to speak up as the bystanders as well as the one bullied. <laughs> There's actually studies to bear that out that a lot of us have, have childhood abuse. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, I think people are afraid to get in trouble. Um, it feels like they're fighting and they don't know what to do. Their fight or flight turns into freeze. So there are a lot of reasons why bystanders are jumping in. But I'm with you. <laughs> the time is over for all of that stuff. Yeah. I call them on my channel buffer bus. Buffer what uh, are you they? Know, really buffer buddies. Oh, buffer buddies, yeah. That, you know, if an LGBTQ person is being harassed, for example, you better buffer, buffer buddy yourself in there and make a change. Stand up. Be the person between the bully and the bully. The buffer. Yeah, I see. So they're yeah. not buffering the bully. They're buffering the bullied. They're helping to protect the bully. Correct. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think that's important. And think the circumstances of the last five years have shown us what happens when bullies about to thrive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they still are. To put it gently. Yes. <laughs> They still are. And people have yeah. a lot of risk. I mean, our culture, I think in general, it's changing and shifting and we all want to be, you know, more, less misogynistic and more divine masculine supporting and all of that. But for God's sake, the it's still that the guy who's the harshest, toughest, biggest, what you know, loudest somehow still is seen as more powerful. And I think that doesn't change until the rest of us change our opinions on that. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me think of turfism. And I don't know if you've ever heard that word. T-E-R-F is uh, it's an acronym for trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Wow. And this okay. is that's based in Great Britain mostly in America as well and throughout the world, it's women that believe trans people are bad for feminism. And not just that, um, that trans people should be expunged, that we should be kept from society, that we should be erased if they can. I've never heard, and, I mean, I've heard of that, but I've never heard of this term and I didn't know there was like a whole thing around this. Okay. Oh, there's a whole thing around it. The reason I bring it up here is because me, the fight for LGBTQ rights and the fight to for women's rights, the fight to end misogyny, isn't a very similar, if not the same fight. We're trying to dismantle these strict ways people are policing to expressing who they are. And you would think women so me, would makes, be supportive of that. I would think so. Yeah. <laughs> and to be clear, most, right, and most feminism is trans-inclusive. But you made me think of it because there are so many people who aren't the bully, but still caught up in the bully's system. Yeah, and the turfers are part of that. They're caught, they're modeling after the bully, basically, and, and in a place and of want- scarcity. 
Yes, and they want to be, they want to get ahead within the bully system instead of dismantling the system. Two different directions to move in. So what is the first thing we should do to dismantle the bully system? Well, do you want to talk about grammar first? Yeah. Because you yeah, said I, we were going like yeah. a half hour ago. I know. I'm still, I'm so <laughs> intrigued. I want to know how to dismantle the whole problem. But yeah, this is one way because using learning the correct terminology and educating yourself is one way not to get lost in the bullies' uh, misrepresentations and lies and and mischaracterizations Indeed. and stereotypes. So, um, so yeah, let's talk yeah. about some of the terminology and, and then we'll talk, we have to remind you're handling this whole interview much better than I am. So you help me remember to come back to the what? dismantling the police. <laughs> I didn't mean to, to no, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I like it because my executive functioning is not the best the, ever, but especially these days. Um, okay. So I, I love it. Well, give context first, and then we'll talk about grammar specific. Because the context is the idea that, quote, there are only two genders, Mm -hmm. and that belief makes it very easy to to then have a personal philosophy that one gender is better than the other one. Mm -hmm. It's like a stepping stone. And if people like me come along, well, actually, I don't fit into one of those boxes. Seven genders. <laughs> there are forty-three. There's one hundred and twelve. Right? Gender is a totally yeah. different concept than you were taught. Right? We can muddy those waters. Then there is no one who's better than another. There is no gender that's better than another gender. And that's really the promise and the gift, people like me. So deep in my soul. I know that I'm not a man and I'm not a woman. I'm non-binary. The word binary meaning two, referring to women. And I'm outside that system. What we're doing in this movement is simply trying to use language to describe experience. And that may not always make sense. <laughs> and so, most to pronouns, it's not appropriate to use he or she when talking about me. Because you're not either a he or a And she. actually, I almost never get to talk about this, but the first people who wanted to use gender neutral pronouns were feminists huh. in the 1970s. They wanted a universal gender-neutral crown so that when people were talking about applicants, college applicants, uh, that they so that women would not a, be discriminated. I see. I see. Okay. And so that people would not have these heavy assumptions that come from she and her. So they were the first to advocate for it. And LTQ people just picked up the slack and said, yeah, that works for us too. Mm-hmm. How about they... Because we already use it to mean one person. Yeah, we do. Like, if you don't really know the gender of a person, you will use they. Yes. So left their wallet here. I hope they come back and get it. Yeah. They're so stupid for leaving their wallet. Yeah. They are. So it is exactly the same usage for that anonymous person. Okay. For a known person. And you would use they are. Yes, you would, even if you were talking about one person whose gender you you didn't know. Yes. Because you do. Someone left their umbrella. You're not picturing 12 under an umbrella. Yeah. (laughs) They are coming back to get their, hopefully, whoever they are. So really convenient thing is we already know how to use it. How to form sentences. What people mean. Yes. Nobody gets confused. That you're talking about 12 people <laughs> when it's a nervous person and their wallet, right? And very few people get confused when you're talking about me. Yeah. Jay left their wallet. I hope they come back and get it. Yeah. And what do you think about Please. the X, the X pronoun? Like 
X versus they? Where does that fit in? Well, it's interesting. So X is often used as a gender marker on documents. Uh-huh. My driver's license right now has X on it. Not an M, not an F, but an X. And there are alternate pronouns. The reason they is so popular is that it's already in the language. The feminists in the 1970s yeah. were actually starting to trying to use a brand new vocab word. And whenever that's been attempted, it, it put on really a lot of extra work. Yeah. To do. <laughs> yeah. So that's why that's a good. I didn't. I didn't know that that it was because of the of the vocabulary convenience of it as much as anything else. But that makes sense. And so. And um, currently, if you if you meet somebody who says my pronouns are Z Z, uh, you know, a word you've never heard of. Yeah. You should respect them. Do your best to use that word. And a lot of us use that because it is so uh, well under already. The they piece, right. And so there's not, so whatever someone wants to be called, you call them. But otherwise, uh, I mean, right? Yes, good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, that's the principle. <laughs> that's the principle. Yeah. It's interesting that I said he as I was introducing you. Because, you know, looking at you, even though I know you're non-binary, Looking at you, you definitely have qualities, you know, in the continuum, right? You're not binary. Mm -hmm. And yet, because your name is Jeffrey and you're tall and you have short hair, you know, I just automatically think. Seating hairline. (laughs) I have one of those two things. But um, (laughs) that just means you have a lot of testosterone in your system, which Mm -hmm. is good for your libido. That's what I say about myself. And I love how well, you're just like they, you just, you just, because people go on yep. appearances and names is sort of what they immediately defer yeah. to. And it reminds me of, based on appearances and names, people Racism. who, yeah, or even, but to not, not go off the subject of gender from an appearances, people know who's better at math. Ah, right. People should get promoted. Yeah. People know who, right? On and on. And another that non-binary people can give the world and society is that who we are is an innate experience. It's not a set of physical attributes. You know, I pause at that word because it's not attributes. It's like physical you need to jump through in order to look like your gender. Right. Yeah, it's it's how yeah. it's like how willing and able and identified are you willing and able to be with the stereotypes of the gender you've been assigned. <laughs> Basically. And, yeah, and it's not like we're not living in a world where there are women who have facial hair. Yeah. They do exist, they do. right? Well, and I just grew one on my chin the other day. <laughs> oh, good. Um, uh, one to again compliment you. I just love how much you share of your own story. Um, yeah, to me, there is not something we were told makes up gender that is not incredibly wiggly, higgledy, piggledy all over the map. Uh, so imagine you're in high biology class and they actually don't teach it this way anymore. People of our age, we're in high school biology class, someone sell its chromosomes. Mm-hmm. Well, there are people born with all kinds of chromosomes, right. including XXX, yeah. XXY, right? All kinds of conditions. And they're actually people walking the earth that if you see their chromosomes in different parts of their body, you get different answers yeah. for the same person. Yeah. That's, and that's just one. Genitalia is another. There are intersex people and people born with all kinds of genitalia that looks all kinds of ways. Women have facial hair, right? So other characteristics. Or a clitoris that's as big as a penis. I mean, everything we were taught about gender is 
vibrant. Yes, and not stayed. Just think seven. And that's what, go ahead. Well, they're just not stayed. They're not stagnant. But I do think, you know, we, we all, our society is built around these binary boxes in so many ways, but I want to spend a minute talking about some of these terms for folks because Mm -hmm. like, like intersex versus transgender versus, Mm -hmm. and I've talked about this some on the show, but I want to hear your um, definitions versus transsexual versus non-binary like what are some of the key terms that your average person should know this episode is brought to you by hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology they have tons of innovative products like venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation and hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that a lot of us use the umbra term trans, just those five letters, T-R-A-N-S, is because so much of our history includes that word. So... Terms like transsexual and transvestite are now, are now outdated terms, but they include that word. And the word transgender includes that word trans. And so, so many of us just took T-R-A-N-S and we used to mean the whole kind of rainbow family of people who have, well, I'll give you a good, a good definition for any hour listening. Anybody whose gender does not match the gender that's printed on their birth certificate. That's a trans person. Okay. That's a good definition. So So my birth certificate says Mm M-A-L-E. It's in a filing cabinet. It's paper. (laughs) It's somewhere in Pennsylvania. And I'm non-binary. So that's a transition. But Caitlyn Jenner did that same thing. Laverne Cox did that thing. Came out as who they truly are. And it's different. And I don't know if you'll recognize this, Fred, or know what I mean. It's different than the gender they were assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. Right. So assigned, the baby comes out, you see a penis, you say it's a boy. You see a no penis, you say it's a girl, basically. And then that's your assignment. I'm so phrased it that way, because isn't that the whole earth? Yeah. Every based on whether you have a penis. Yeah. Yeah. Don't have a penis. You're female. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not that you have a vagina. It's no, that it's that you no don't penis, have a penis. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Anyway, intersex folks are folks who are born with genitia that the medical establishment finds ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And I phrase it that way because, of, thank goodness, many intersex people, I was not born intersex, but intersex people in that movement are fighting back. And saying, "Don't perform surgery on babies," which happens. They kind of do the surgery right? based on what they look most like. Uh, yeah, like on a and a prayer, yeah, and a guess, yeah, <laughs> for someone's whole life. But we yeah. digress. Um, so that's intersex okay. folks, and so that's the genital. That there's an affinity. Is that many intersex folks, not all. Many intersex folks eventually also identify as non binary because the identity naturally fits into not being a man or woman, being outside, being both, Mm -hmm. being, yeah, whatever else. So, non binary is really referring to your gender identity, how you identify yourself. I'm not in a box, I'm not male, I'm not female, I'm on this beautiful continuum. And intersex Mm -hmm. is not is about the genitals and not having male or female specifically somewhere on the beautiful continuum of genital structures. 
can you imagine people live their whole lives thinking that a natural species, a natural group, seven and a half billion people fit into either one box or the other. Or the other. Yeah. It is pretty astounding. Neatly. We do like our neat little boxes. And so tell me why well, yes. it makes us feel like the world makes more sense. And then it also, I guess. Control. Us, yeah, control. Yes. And so yep. why, so trans, someone who was, you know, who identified as a transvestite, which is now an out of date term, what would, what would that person now call themselves? Well, that's up to them. They could come out as numbery and they could come out as gender non Ah, or they could come out as nothing because girths are not gendered. Pants are not gendered. A gray team is not a gender. So there is really is, you know, and I see it, especially the young kids. You mentioned I'm famous on TikTok. Yes. So especially the young kids and creators on TikTok, there is, there is no such thing as us dressing in yeah. quotes because you, you, you wear what you want. Yeah. Because you think it's great. Yeah. Like Harry Styles, right? He was get he was getting some like flack for that. Harry Styles. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder what Harry Styles identifies as. Do you know? Uh well, actually I was interviewed for Good Morning America about this subject. Because Harry is not non-binary. The term we use for someone who is not trans is cisgender. So transgender or cisgender. And Harry is cisgender. Right. And cis is the more conforming in the box. You know, I'm male. So he identifies as male if he's cisgender. Yeah. Yeah. Straight, heterosexual, cisgender. Yeah. Okay. And then transgender is still okay, but transsexual is not. Correct. And that's mostly, as far as I can tell, because so many people are not able to afford surgery, don't want surgery. Um, surgery is such a big step and such a personal decision. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't make whether had a doctor... <laughs> do things to your genitals we shouldn't have that determine whether you're valid so it's not really about because transsexual just brings to mind bodies and and surgery and so it just highlights the requirement or not of that right but can you say well what about because people used to say they are uh how would they say they're fully transitioned do we do we not say Mm -hmm. that anymore either People, I mean, you can. No, but I mean, politically, like, in, in, you know, hurtful <laughs> or offensive You're or insensitive. You're trying to help give allies tools. Yes. And actually, I want to address the metasus first. Because I've noticed in my activism, I know I look amazing, but I'm four. So I've been doing this for a long time. And we've come to this interesting place. So years ago, people used to just think of me as fish. They'd be afraid. They'd be like, what's that person going over there? Going, going on over there? Is this like Silence of the Lambs? Is this person going to kill me? <laughs> you know, that kind of energy. And now we've gone from that to people being afraid to say the wrong things. Yeah, a lot of people are around afraid. me. But people are still at me and I'm still isolated and you know, I'm still causing this anxiety Mm. that I don't want those. So what I would recommend for people to do is know that you goof like you did so gracefully. Know it's going to happen and be ready to learn and apologize and move. That would be the plan as opposed to making sure you memorize every single correct vocabulary. Yeah. Because I, I don't want to ask to do that, actually. Yeah. I want people to have a heart-to-heart connection. 
And that actually will be the best context for to learn what words to use and not use. Okay. Fair enough. Because people, does that make sense? yeah, it does. And I think you're right that people want, I mean, that's the nice thing, even though I understand the accidental isolation it creates, but that at least people are trying to do it's the right thing, right? <laughs> but there is this kind of paranoia that I'm going to say, you know, that, that they're going to say something wrong or do something offensive, which is nice because it's coming from a place of wanting to do the right thing. So, Let's get back for a minute from the ally standpoint, whether you are a parent of someone who maybe you suspect is non-binary or trans in some way, or even if your kid's just being bullied or just, I mean, even if your kid's being bullied, or if you just want to be, you know, and see yourself as an ally, what can we do to start dismantling some of this toxicity and, and, and bullying and prejudice. I think talking about it is your way to go. So many allies are afraid to say thing that they clam up. Like we were talking about the bystander syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. So many folks are afraid to make that misstep. And I can talk about myself and racism, honestly. Mm-hmm. Things were spicy for a while when I realized that I wanted to be devoted to anti-racism and I didn't yet have the tools. And so there was going to be a time period where I was going to say wrong things, going to do the wrong thing, going to step, going to go there and a person of color or a Black person pull me aside and be like, ooh, don't say that, right? Had to be able to stay with myself as I went through that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would encourage everyone to do. To be we were talking about, yeah. yeah. We were talking earlier about people being traumatized. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a very little kid thing. Yeah. That every did had to be perfect. Yeah. It had to be right. You had to formulate everything before it came out of your mouth, or you would have been made fun of beat up, ostracized, rejected, mm-hmm. right? That's That all comes right out of yeah. all of us six years old. And now is your chance to transcend that. I, if I represent non-binary people in any way <laughs> as first non-binary person to go on national TV and talk about it, you know, if I'm at the forefront of a movement, if I'm a relative, let me say on behalf of all of us, speak up. Mm-hmm. I personally, Jeffrey would rather have you fumbling and stumbling and making mistakes and fighting for us than staying silent. Then clamming up. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's also related to self-love as you talk so eloquently eloquently about in, in your book. You, you were talking, I remember, about um, how a big component of self-love for you, which I thought was so beautiful, was, was you know, fundamentally self-trust. Not only, you know, trusting your own heart, which I assume is sort of your own good intentions, even if you screw up, even if you're awkward, even if you say the wrong thing, trusting your heart's yep. intentions and trusting your own adequate, adequacy, you know, that you're enough exactly as you are. And I think that's sort of what you're speaking to now when you say staying with yourself through struggling to support someone in your community or in your family or struggling with, you know, something you see on the street or on social media and wondering how to speak up or how to speak to that person or how to advocate. It's really what I think you're saying is that there's no rule book and that it's really as with all things, about trusting your own intentions. (laughs) It's so funny because I was picturing, um, you know, if my life is being threatened in a park or whatever, and a third person starts yelling, get away from him. I'm not going to come and go, well, actually, my (laughs) pronouns are are they that? It's a they. Yeah. 
people get a feed <laughs> and really sometimes the rubber is meeting the road and you gotta you yeah. can get in there and put a stop to. And you know, you know what? People listening to this and people drawn for work, I know this for a fact, you can speak about human dignity. Yes. Absolutely. You may not know all the words. You may not know the vocab. You may not know the pronouns. You may not have all, you know, all the rules in mind, but you do know about inclusion, about dignity. You know about love. You can speak about those. That's really, really beautiful. And a really good point to end on. Is there anything else that you think is important. We talk about definitely pick up Jeffrey's Mar- Jeffrey's Marsh. I was going to say Jeffrey Marsh's book, uh, <laughs> How to Be You. Stop trying to be someone else and start living your life. You know, it, it's a really. I thought it was just a really beautiful. There was a lot of sort of mainstreaming and easily accessible Buddhist principles in there. Just like it was a lot that's of. A, that's supposed to be it, but yes, you're right. Yeah. And I think it's It's uh, actually a Buddhist book, (laughs) (laughs) but, but it's, it's in, you know, regular practical terms, which I think is really beautiful. Mm. And it's clear that it's been your path and how you've, you know, healed yourself in many ways and, and become the advocate that you are and the, and the model of self-love that you are. And I think all of us, my gosh, if we could have more self-love we would definitely have less bullying that's for damn sure so if we oh, can focus I certainly on think that so. can i tell you just a you know 30 second yeah about that so i mentioned earlier that i went i was the first person to go on national tv and say i'm binary mm-hmm. let's talk about it and it was actually newsmax conservative cable news and I had discussed my team, do I want to go on there? (laughs) Do I want to do this? And we decided together, it's part of my mission to be able to talk to everyone Mm -hmm. and what's important. Mm -hmm. And the host was being very antagonistic. And at one point in the year, if if people want to look up the viral video, uh, you know, the host says to me, well, you know, if you buy this book, are they going to learn more about people like you? And I said, if they buy this book, they'll learn more about themselves. Mm-hmm. Good answer. Because we're so very much alike. Yeah. And that is why I'm so grateful that we could talk today and that you were willing to, I don't usually say this, but you know, People like me are not given, it's getting better. We're not usually given a voice. So it says something about you that I am here. Oh, I love your voice. That you have, <laughs> thank you. Um, I mean, I don't mean you just your speaking voice. To talk to like me. Yeah. We're supposed to be silenced and ostracized and anywhere else. So I never take moments like these for granted. And I went, I'm just grateful from the bottom of my heart that you are you that you are yeah thank you thank you I um to me it's it's a no-brainer because I when I say I love your voice Mm. I mean you do have a beautiful speaking voice but I love your message and I love how you give it and I love how smart you are and how heartful you are and how generous you are Mm -hmm. and how intuitive you are, you know, not to mention entertaining. So that's, that's a beautiful combination. And I thank you so much for, for joining us. I wish you a million more gajillion miles of success in your work and in your purpose. And, you know, I think that message fundamentally is those things that we most for all of us that we feel shame about or embarrassed about or we're bullied about or we're overtly or covertly conditioned out of, embrace those things. Stop running away from them because those are actually your deepest and most beautiful gifts. So I want to thank you for being brave enough to live your gifts for all of us. It is truly my pleasure. 
I hope I speak to you again soon. Anytime. Around.